Hello, my name is Matthew Dvorak, and I'd like to welcome you to the newest podcast in the Uplift United family, The Chivo Effect. Every week, I'll bring you the biggest stories in sports and break them down. Let's hop right into it. I don't know if you guys heard, um, number 12, Coastal Carolina. They finally lost to Liberty um, in the bowl game they played here a couple of days ago. So that brings an end to their undefeated season. I believe that puts them at 12-1 and on the year. Yeah, they lost to Liberty. They lost in the Cure Bowl, 37-34 in overtime. <clears throat> I believe it was on a missed field goal, if I'm not mistaken. Either a missed field goal or Liberty hit the field goal to win it. Um, but, yeah, that brings it into an outstanding run in college football. 11-1 um, and one was the final run for the year. So... which begs us to ask the question, did they belong in the college football playoff? I know we love to talk about, you know, and I've I've done my fair share of bitching this year, Lord knows I have, about, you know, Ohio State not playing six games. Well, Notre Dame got their ass kicked in the ACC championship game, so how could you include them? <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think it just begs the question, did another – one, did another team belong there? And two, who was it that belonged there? And three, I guess, to subset of two is why. Why this person over Notre Dame who eventually got in. So I think to start, you have to look at how the rest of the top 25 shook out. You had A&M coming at number five, which I did not think A&M over the course of the year was a better team than Notre Dame was. Um, and number six, you shook out with Oklahoma. <clears throat> which the homer that I am in me, we've finished, God, eight and two, nine and two after that. Won the Big 12, six straight. Um, Texas is back. Yeah, I'll see it when I believe it, guys. But Oklahoma at six definitely should not have made it. Um, let's see. Obviously, you had Bama at one, Clemson at two, Ohio State came in at three at six. No, we'll get to them in a second. Um, and Notre Dame at 10 and one. A&M finished 8-1 and one at number 5, Oklahoma 8-2 and two at number 6, <clears throat> followed by Florida at 8-3 and three at number 7. They just had too many losses. I mean, they played a great game against Alabama in the SEC Championship, don't get me wrong, but that loss to – I think they lost to A&M earlier in the year, and that loss to LSU was about the good nail in the coffin if they had one. So, yep, lost to A&M right there in October, like I thought. <clears throat> so – Let's see, at number eight, you had Cincinnati. Now, this is one of the first teams that people were abdicating for. You know, they went 9-0. and They were there in the American Athletic Conference, if I'm not mistaken. But they are outside the group of <clears> – they're one of the group of five conferences. They're outside what they call the Power Five. You know, of course, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, um, Big 10, and SEC. <clears throat> Those are your five major conferences in football. LOL. Um, so, but they won the, con- they won the conference they were in this year. <clears throat> they've had a nine and no run. They've had some sneakily good years. I know they've been ranked throughout the years. I mean, they've been finishing in the top, like 15, sometimes in the top tens, like straggling at nine or eight, like they're doing right now, but they've been having solid years for several years now. They've really put together a nice program and the only thing holding them back, you know, really right now is not being in that power five, which is what the only thing they're really guilty of. Um, I mean, again, 9-0 run, that's a great way through the year. After that, there's really not much. Scroll up for me a little bit. 
Sam, you scroll down for me a little bit. If Georgia at nine, Iowa State at ten. I mean, they didn't even beat us out. <clears throat> the only other team originally that was next close was again Coastal at number twelve, but you know they're not playing a whole. They're let. They were undefeated, yes, but in my opinion, they weren't playing enough of anybody that was actually competing any at any of that level, anyways. It's great. It would have been a great story to put in or even consider them seriously, but in in my estimation, it wouldn't have happened. Um, you had BYU was had only one loss, and that was to Coastal Carolina. This is, you know, I don't know if everybody remembers this season in 2020, apparently, but games were getting canceled left and right. Everything was just on the fly. Teams were having to, like, piecemeal together games and schedules as we went along here. So BYU and Coastal didn't have anybody to play that week, so they said, bet, let's meet up. They were both undefeated at the time, and it was a great, fantastic game. Almost ends up being one of the games of the year. You know, Coastal defeats them on, like, a goal line stand as time expires. I mean, you couldn't draw it up better if you tried. So, and from there, there was really nobody else. Um, Ohio State, I... I understand that across the six games they did play, they looked like the best team in college football. And I understand that, you know, the games where the other got canceled that the other teams had COVID, they couldn't control that. But I don't understand. First off, I don't understand the Big Ten this entire year. They were one of the first to say they weren't playing. They were, I guess, originally postponed till January, but at least delaying for right now. You backpedal at the immense and immediate outlash from all your players after a while you backpedal and say we'll start again you agree to the short and condensed season in october to give your guys some semblance of you know a beginning and training camp and everything you decide the threshold is you must play six games to make it to the big 10 championship and yet you change the rule on the fly again i mean the motivating factor is money obviously a stat I interestingly looked up, or I just came across an article on The Ringer, um, that the college football playoff pays each of these Power Five conferences $66 million annually. That's $66 million annually each of these Power Five conferences get paid out, distributed amongst the teams. They also get an additional $6 million per team that makes the, that like makes the bump. But yes, they get $66 million per... Power Five Conference in the College Roll Playoff. Um, each team that makes it gets their conference another six million in kickers, which is stupid money. That's seventy-two million possibly in one season to a program or to a conference split up to the big programs in a blow. You know, among all of the money they're already bringing in individually, anyways. So, but. The rest of the group of five conferences together only get a 90 million pot to split. So the top five guys get 66 million each, whereas those other guys get 90 million just to split all together. And that's just per conference, not even per team. So the rich get richer in that situation. So, and we've seen this the entirety of the playoff. You know, we got rid of the BCS because what did we all say? We don't want the computer making a decision. We want a group of humans, you know, doing the decision. We need – you can't take in the account of everything 
a human can take into account everything that a computer can't, you know, using logic and whatever else we want to argue. But all we found at this point is just like anything else throughout human history, when you leave it up to humans, you kind of, you know, <clears throat> predisposition, bias, you know, like I said, the money, the money sets in and everything like that. So all we found is it was argued on the premise of, it was argued on the premise of it'll give these teams a fair chance instead of just the top two teams get elected by a computer to play for the national championship every year. It'll be, you know, the little guy will finally have a chance, except they never have. You know, we never, we never put anybody in there. We put what these 12, 12 people put together collectively decide is the four best teams. But how can we do that when you're not taking in the entire field? I am not of the mind that Cincinnati would necessarily have any better chance in that game. I think they would get the same ass kicking that Notre Dame is going to probably get from Alabama in the first round. I am not saying that they wouldn't, but one, you never know until you put them in there. Two, you can, you can't, you can't keep changing your own, you know, rules of what constitutes these teams that make it in, especially without the actual conference championships. When you have to look at like the strength of schedule, you look at, we call it the eye test a lot. Um, in this article by Roger Sherman, he's always talked about, they always look like they don't ever pick people with it. If it didn't blowouts, if you had a blowout, it really disqualifies you kind of. It's not written, it's these unwritten rules, you know, it's all these per se's. But all of this to say, folks, let me convince you why we need the eight-team college football playoff. I think the way you set it up properly is this. You have eight teams, obviously. You have a guaranteed spot ranked, you know, you one through five, seated however as you deem appropriate. That can be up to conjecture. Your power five conference champions, one through five. You have... Two six and seven seeds, if you're six and seven seed, that you guarantee to the top two group of five teams. Again, conjecture is conjecture on which two it is, but you're guaranteeing two to them. They can't complain that they're not getting representation. If they come and always get their ass kicked, we can just look and say, hey, man, we give you a shot, do better. And you know that you're not leaving out, that you're just giving everybody the fair due here. I mean, you, you're not leaving out an undefeated Cincinnati team or even an up-and-coming, you know, Chanticleers team or BYU if they hadn't lost. You know, whoever are those guys, you look and say, you know what? Maybe they could do something. And then the eighth seed is the actual – is where the discussion of, okay, we got the other guys out of the way, out of everybody else left who is the best team. It's the thing we always try to use, especially when, like, Alabama – in years Alabama doesn't ever win the SEC in those rare years. We've justified putting them in that way. You know, we've justified putting after that. So, say, if we were running it off this year, you would have Alabama as the SEC. You have Clemson out of the ACC, Oklahoma out of the Big 12, Oregon out of the Pac-12, and you would have – who am I missing? Ohio State out of the Big 10. Um, more than likely your two best of those group of five teams would be Cincinnati, 
and you can argue Coastal Carolina because they finished higher and they would have been undefeated at the time instead of taking a bowl game that they took and lost. Um, you could also probably make the argument for BYU, although with an undefeated record, Coastal Carolina probably takes it. Um, and then for that eight seed, again, whoever is left is the best of the field. Uh, at that point, out of those, so the eight seed, you know, you would have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Oregon for the Pac-12 champs. You would stick them in. You would have Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati, uh, debatably six or seven, however you'd like, as your final two from the group of five. Number eight seed would probably, uh, you could debatably say Notre Dame or A&M at this point. Um, I don't think it'd be Florida. I would. They still might put Notre Dame in just because they look the best. I'd say they look better than A&M. Um, so we'll see. You never know. But I think the eight-team seed, eight-team fold is, one, you don't have to worry about, why would you not want to play an extra game? I think you can cut down two of those out-of-conference games you play every year. They're just warm-up games anyway. Two of them would be nice, but you, you take two of them with an actual regular pre-seed or you know, like training camps and spring football and everything like you do, and... You play one more playoff game. That's all it is. It's just one more game, and then the semifinals, and then the game again. I think it makes for better football. You guys, the NCAA, you would make more money. So we know you guys are about making your money. So you would do that. I think you get more teams paid. More teams can – the more these schools get paid, the more they can do things like – upgrade their programs, upgrade the programs around them, upgrade, you know, get new equipment, get new stuff, get new locker rooms, get new field, get new, you know, anything like that can be spent back in the program, which only encourages your recruitment and helps that and gets a program built. That's how it happens. Not when we're paying the same five or six schools every year, you know, you know, just like everything else, it's all top heavy and it needs to stop. So, that's all I got there. Now, something else I'd like to get into. This is our first year at what we... We've had the this Brady and Belichick discussion for a long time, right? You know, who makes who? Who's the chicken and who's the egg? Does the coach make the quarterback? Or does Tom Brady make Bill Belichick look good? And it's a hard discussion to have. It's... There's so much to break down. They're so intertwined over so much time. I mean, two decades of football. You tell the story of the NFL. You you have to talk about the guys who, at this point, have won 9 to 10% all-time of the Super Bowls together. Just together in two decades. It's pretty fucking crazy to think about. But... This is the first year we get to look at it. Obviously, Tom Brady goes to Tampa. Um, Bill Belichick signs Cam Newton to be his quarterback. But after this Sunday, we have officially the word. The Patriots are officially eliminated. This will be the first time since 2008 when they have not made the playoffs. Um, that being the year that Tom Brady tore his ACL. You know, in the middle of his prime, he was really just really going good. 
um, towards ACL, missed the season, they missed the playoffs. Well, Tom Brady has Tampa clinching a playoff spot for the first time since 2007. So, now, I'm sure everybody is ready. A lot of people are ready to, oh, well, look, Tom was it the whole time. We're going to crucify Bill Belichick and this, that, and a third. I think you'd be remiss to do so without seeing how Tom looks in the playoffs. He has had a pretty scorching month of December. We're not going to lie. But if you break it down a little deeper, he had an electric game a couple of weeks ago against Atlanta. He had like 320 yards with touchdowns in the second half. He led that massive comeback. After he was part of the reason they put them in the hole to begin with, had a terrible first half. Um, and this past week, this past weekend against Detroit, he put up like 300 yards and four touchdowns in the first half alone. They went up 34 to nothing. That game was over before it began. Detroit was missing. Excuse me. Detroit was missing much of their coaching staff because of the fact that they were due to COVID protocols. Um, they were missing their so their head coach Matt Patricia got fired in November. They hired an interim coach. He was out. The defensive staff was out. Like literally, the defensive line, the linebackers, the defensive coordinator, and I think the passing game coordinator were all out. So literally the entire defensive staff. Um, I think the offensive coordinator was out. They had fired their special teams coordinator last week because he fooled everybody and ran a fake punt that no one else knew about. So that's lit. Um, I think I read that on the defensive play calling, they had like, the head of analytics, like one of the somebody from the analytics department who had been there for a while, and on the offensive side, I, I don't even remember who they they who they said they had running it, but not dudes that actually do any of the coaching for the most part. It's dudes that are more a little officey behind the scenes, maybe having to do with the team, but so they were playing without sufficient coaching to say the least. And Matt Stafford got hurt in the first quarter, and they had to play Chase Daniels. So, of course, Tom Brady just picked them apart left and right, and the defense feasted on them. So, I think it would be – you'd be remiss to say that just because of one season, especially in this hellscape of sports we're trying to play in with COVID protocols and everything in between, that – He's just that it's all that was all Tom Brady the whole time. You, you can't say that. Bill Belichick did plenty. He, you know, has built legendary defenses over the years. He stopped the K gun in the 90s. He has built legendary defenses through the draft with the Patriots, and they've won Super Bowls. I mean, it was, and in my opinion, no matter how many years we wait to look at it, unless Bill Belichick continues to fold like this and. Tom wins like three Super Bowls in a row, even two in a row in Tampa. So until we get to that point, I would think that the whole time it was just the perfect marriage of coach and quarterback. You you couldn't you couldn't have one without the other. Separately, they never would have worked. It was I think it was maybe Belichick has been was good enough to maybe pull out some Maybe pull out a couple of them off the backs of those defenses, like Teddy Bruschi when they had Vince Wilfork, Dante Hightower. God, they were savage back then. The young McCordys when they first drafted them, 
It was good stuff. So maybe they could have. And but Tom Brady taken out of the sixth round, maybe with anybody else, maybe he doesn't develop the same. Maybe there's not somebody to harden him and help toughen him up in the in the cold wintry beyond the walls of New England. But I I think they work together perfectly. It was a mar a marriage, a match made in heaven that just worked. I think we're looking at the same thing developing over the years right now with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. You are you are literally about to see the next dude who's going to run the NFL for 10 to 15 years together or not longer. Um, so that's what I think it is. I mean, some dudes just work together like peanut butter and jelly. Brady is an all-time quarterback. Belichick is an all-time coach. Iron sharpens iron. You, I mean, why would you want to have one without the other? You, why would you even want to fathom it or think about it? You know the result of this one. There's no, there's no point in going back. But, and why do we have to be ones better than the other? Like I said, they, I think they matched each other perfectly because they're both debatably the greatest of all time at what they've done. They're both goats. And that, my friends, is what we call the Chivo effect. So, going from one goat to another, let's talk about LeBron James a little bit. Talk about the Lakers, their start to the season. Just the start of the NBA in general. Um, the Lakers had one of the great, had a good opening game against the Clippers. They lost. They looked like they were shaking off the rest a little bit. We knew that LeBron was going to be coming off load management minutes most of this season, really. Um I know the talk has been about 25 to 28, maybe bumping up to 30 in the later half, getting ready for the playoff run. But coming off a shortened offseason, the shortest in NBA history, and, you know, playing like, what, 70 days after the bubble now? Maybe maybe 80. Um, He's he's really not had the time to rest like he had before, especially after a playoff run like that, you know? So... But so it's understandable. It's understandable why they didn't look as good. They didn't look sharp. Um, none of them really did. The Clippers did, though, surprisingly, especially after the offseason they had, you know, especially getting bounced out of the bubble like they did unceremoniously, choking on a 3 1 lead against the Clippers, not the Clippers, against the, uh, the Nuggets. Uh, um, shout out to the Mavs. 50 point ass whooping, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, so you expect this kind of thing. And then you get to Christmas Day and LeBron looks better. Anthony Davis looks fire coming out against the Mavericks. We just we had no answer for him. Nothing. I mean, I was I was watching with a good buddy of mine and we just every bucket I could not find an answer for Anthony Davis. I, I couldn't think of what to do. And like every time we would make a run, we would get it going. You know, we it's a sixteen point deficit right now. Well, we're gonna go ahead and cut that to nine. They come back on the other end of the floor after a timeout and get two quick buckets and we brick some threes and we're right back at 15 again. And it was like, damn, man, we just cannot make up any ground on this. And it felt that way pretty much the whole game. We were playing catch up that we were never really going to catch up to, you know. So. But. That has been corrected since yesterday. As of yesterday, Mavs got their first win on the season. They look a lot better. Um. Speaking of the Clippers, they spanked them by 50 points. It was like 124 to 77, so almost 50 at the end. I'm sorry. 
124-73. I remember because it was a 51-point win at the end. But 50-point deficit at the half, 77-27 going into it. That was the largest uh, halftime deficit at that point up to NBA history. Um, they were playing without Kawhi Leonard because during their Christmas Day game, uh, playing against the Nuggets, he had taken an elbow going up for a rebound from teammate Serge Ibaka. Uh, I think he had to get eight stitches in the mouth, and he was bleeding pretty, uh, bleeding pretty bad. So he missed last night or uh, yesterday afternoon's game uh, due to lacerations. And great for the Mavericks because we whooped that ass. Uh, the Clippers put up one for nineteen from three in the first half. I didn't even. From Paul George to Luke Kennard to Batum to Lou Williams to anyone in between, nobody. Not a single, one single made three, actually. There were so many bricks, they could have been building a house. And and the Mavericks looked a lot better. Luka looked a lot, a lot more smooth going up and down the floor. He looked a lot... Like he's he's playing himself into shape a little bit. Past several years, he's kind of come out not looking that great, looking a little, you know, a little doughboy at the very beginning. But he kind of works himself into it. His three's not looking great at the moment. Two for 16 to start over three games, but he'll come back into it. He was, you know, facilitating on the offensive end. And it looks like, at least through the three games I've watched, it looks like he's trying to hustle on defense. Now, we know he's not great at it, but it looks like he's trying. Um, you know, didn't didn't matter Christmas Day, though. LeBron and the Lakers with Anthony Davis, like I said, they were just putting it on him. The most, and by the way, shout out to you, LeBron, because I called it. I was on the phone with my friend Nathan, like I said, watching the game on Christmas Day. I called it as soon as it happened. In the second quarter... LeBron is backing down Luka. If you want to go find a clip of it, he backs down Luka into the paint, hits him with a little shoulder check, and just falls back and fadeaways. And I was like, he just hit the fucking Dirk shot on him. I said it out loud. I was like, he hit a fucking Dirk shot on him, and he just did that. And it was so beautiful because it just raindrops straight through the net. It was so nice. And I was like, don't use that against us, man. Don't don't do that. You're the GOAT. You don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. And then, just to spite Luca again, he hit a little double step back three on him, like right, right in his face later in the game. It was pretty savage, you know. It was a nice little reminder of like, hey kid, I know you're gonna be coming, but I'm still here. I'm still here. Don't play with me. So, you know, I mean, it was good basketball. We. Like I said, we can never get the lead back on Christmas Day, but it was still good basketball to watch. I'm just happy the NBA is back, to be honest. It's it's good to see everybody going again. I mean, sports have been such a welcome sight. I mean, we, it, even if it's been in the bubble or whatever, you know, trying to keep ourselves safe from this pandemic, I'm not going to lie to you guys, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Sports was, the, was something I really, really missed, and it's something – I didn't know how much – I didn't never recognize, like, consciously how much of my time it took up and how important it was to me until it was just all gone at once. <sighs> That's how we get things like the Tiger King on Netflix. You heard? Goddamn Carol Baskin starting the COVID, taking away the NBA from us. But 
so in the midst of all this, it's just nice to have it back again. It's the same way it was nice to have a college football season or an NFL season or whatever. And I know the argument can be made. It's selfish to play sports during a pandemic and this and that. But I don't know. I mean, maybe it is selfish. Maybe it's not the smartest thing to do because even if everyone follows everything perfectly, sometimes shit will just happen. But if you know that and you go into it, then sometimes you need it more than we do. You know? I would argue that some of those players think to themselves, I want to go out here and play this game more than these fans want me to, probably. I'm sure being off for five months, any of those sports, baseball, the baseball season got canceled, got canned to start right as all this COVID was happening. I mean, I'm sure it was probably killing those guys, some of those guys to not be out there and do what they were doing because at the end of the day, a lot of these guys do this because they're just kids at heart. There's still kids playing Pop Warner League on Sundays or AAU on Saturday mornings traveling or kids at that baseball tourney and select league when they were like in teenagers, you know, playing against some of the same guys now in the big leagues as they were then. I'm sure they missed the hell out of it. So I don't know. I think we can all agree that it's at least nice to have them back. Now, Now, do we think it's smart for the NFL to not into to not try to do a bubble for the playoffs this year? We've seen how it's turned out when teams get COVID outbreaks and it runs rampant because the problem at this point we've run into is we've found that at the back half of the season the NFL's not rescheduling nothing. I mean not nothing. We made the Jets and the Browns play a game this past week when the Browns had literally all of their starting receivers on the COVID-19 restricted list. I, nor my producer, Sam, who's a huge Browns fan. Sam, could you name any of those guys, even one of them, on that field? From the new receiving core? From the ones that played yesterday. Could you name one of those guys? Absolutely not. We have that. We have... We made the the NFL made the Broncos play a game. I'm sure we've all know this by now. Of course, the COVID situation in their quarterback room. Draft Driscoll, one of their backups, uh, had it. Uh, they were all in a meeting, all the quarterbacks maskless, so they all tested positive after contact tracing. So the entire quarterback room got dead. Not dead. They all got like disqualified to play in on the COVID list. They said, hey, we don't have a quarterback. So the NFL said, figure it out. Their initial plan was to try to get um, one of their, like, strength and conditioning coaches signed to their roster or, like, one of their player personnel. Some guy that, like, used to play, like, 10 years ago and is just somewhere in the organization now. He played UCF. He played at UCF because the quarterback from 2008 to 2010. They tried to sign him. The NFL said no. So they had to call up Kendall Hinton. Kendall Hinton is a practice squad receiver of theirs from Wake Forest. He was the starting quarterback back in like 2016 when he got his job taken by somebody. He transitioned to receiver at that point. Again, just on their practice squad. They called this dude on Saturday afternoon 
and said that he and they were like, hey, man, you're going to have to come take snaps this week. This man had not played quarterback in like at least two years, if not longer. He, again, had not had any time. He didn't even practice at quarterback that week. He hadn't met most of his coaches or teammates in any way, shape or form. It wouldn't surprise me. If like the offensive line met that guy for the first time when he walked into the huddle on their first drive. So they made that guy play a game. He went one for nine with like one nine yard completion. The Broncos got murdered by the Saints, 31 to three. And all because the NFL, you know, thinks they're God and time marches on and stops for no one. Just like this NFL season is going to stop for no one. Nowhere, any way, shape, or form. I heard a lot of outrage from my fans that are from my from my friends that are Browns fans this week when, you know, we lost to the fucking Jets and I have possibly fucked ourselves and made it life a lot harder on getting a playoff entrance because of some fucking bullshit. And I say to them, it is bullshit. But you knew this was going to happen. Like I said, they made a team play a game without an actual quarterback. Think about that. The most the <clears throat> the position they spent all these time and money and rules trying to protect and make the face of everything and like give them the most leeway on the field. They didn't have that, and you still made them play. What a game it was for it. So, I think the NFL is nuts to take the attitude of we're not stopping for anyone. We're doing things. Things are going to go on. We're playing these games. But not wanting to take the proper precautions to make sure that you can even ensure that. A playoff bubble would ensure that. We've seen this. We saw this with hockey with the playoff bubble in Canada. We saw this in um, Orlando with the playoff bubble for the NBA. You know, you saw how baseball was getting ravaged by COVID at the beginning of the season until their players buckled down, made it through, until they got to a postseason playoff bubble again for the like the league championship series and the World Series. We saw how it worked when everybody bought in and did it right. But by not even trying to go that route – you're, you're, it's, it's arrogant, and it's potentially dangerous. You guys think we can do this traveling all we want to and blah, 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 when the NBA went so many days in a row without a positive test for a while. I think they went a solid two, almost three months in there after the first couple of weeks in the bubble without a positive test. Whereas you guys continually have tests you guys haven't been able to stop tests for a week yet. Whether the players are consequential or not, and sometimes they have been, is of no matter to you. The only matter is, can you field a roster that can play a game? And sometimes we've proven even when the answer is no, play one anyways. Roger Goodell and the owners, we need a bubble. We need something. We we need you guys to care. And at least if you're going to say we're going to play this game, so competitive balance and whatever garbage you want to spit is, you know, 
then reschedule. You know, the Browns didn't have anybody to actually catch. Who was they going to catch? The defensive backs? Defensive backs don't have hands, and they can't play both ways. I mean, and you guys made some guy who hasn't taken snaps at quarterback in two years who's a practice squad-wide receiver playing a game, an actual Sunday game. God bless Kendall Hinton, but that guy's not an NFL quarterback. But as long as there was money to be made, we're going forward with it, right? Because time stops for no one, and neither does the NFL. Just sometimes you wish it did. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Chivo Effect. Leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. It'll really help us out. Until next time, I'll see you guys later.